0: morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 13, please. We're going to be in, beginning in verse 21 here in just a moment. We're glad you're here this morning. It's a beautiful weekend. Uh, our theme of icon or uh, image for this particular teaching of Jesus is love. So if you want to circle that on your notes, uh, this is what we'll be focusing on as Jesus brings us full circle into this big biblical concept of glory. And what does glory really mean? What does it look like and how do we engage it? Well, we're collecting up the offerings and we do appreciate and value your generosity. Uh, We want to remind you of something that will begin next Sunday at the 945 worship hour across the parking lot at our student ministry center. Uh, We're going to be simulcasting the service in here at 945 over there at 945. So when people come on campus, that service is pretty shoulder to shoulder in this room and we're grateful for the number of people interested in hearing the Word of God and gathering together in worship. So, so we want to create as much space as we can during that time where most people have voted with their feet. Now, we know the holy people are here at 830. Can I have an amen? amen. Yes, yes. It's either you can't sleep or you're worried about something, so we're glad you're here. And, uh, but at 945, we have our largest audience, and so if you ever come to the 945 service, we encourage you to consider walking across the parking lot. Uh, The music will be live. There will be a band. And the only difference will be instead of me standing here in the middle of the stage, I'll be on the screen like most of you watch anyway. So we want you to be aware of that. And that begins next Sunday. And uh, so please pray with us that God will honor that. And that'll be an opportunity for more people to hear the message. And that's what we're really hoping for. It's Thursday. It's Thursday evening of the Passion Week. Jesus has arrived into the upper room and he washed the disciples' feet. And then he created a lasting memory with them by instituting the Lord's Supper, where the bread and the wine would become a reminder of who he is, what he offers us, and that one day he'll return. When you read John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, it is Jesus' farewell to the disciples. It's his profound statement, his prayers, his thoughts, his encouragement to them. Those chapters are beautiful chapters. I don't know if you, what your reading plan is in the scriptures to stay fresh in the heart of what God is calling us to do, but I would encourage every one of us to read those chapters, John 13 through 17, every month, to be reminded of the farewell message of Jesus to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. He introduces a theme here for us for one of the first times in his ministry, but all the epistles would take off on it, all the theologians ever since then would hold on to this. If you ask anybody who really understands the complexity of Scripture, and you said to them, what is, and it's often used in catechisms, what is the chief end of all men? It's to bring God glory. The concept of glory is a beautiful image. I don't know that I've ever totally understood it, but I'm glad that God's shining more and more light on it every day. And so this morning, we're going to understand what glory is by what Jesus teaches us in this particular text. Let's give us the background for it in verse 21 through 27. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. Now, what I want to pause here for you and give you the richness of this text, let's do a little Bible quiz here at 8.30 in the morning. Who's writing this? Some of you. Oh, John, yeah. The Apostle John, right? And you'll remember that very often when John writes and he's in the room, he doesn't identify himself by his name. He refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. Now, he's not saying he's greater than the others. He's simply saying, I know he loved me. And John is in the room that day. So when he tells you what the disciple's thinking, shake your head if you know that he knows. He's going, we all looked at each other and thought, what? Continue. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to to that disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I dip it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. I would love... For nothing else than to have your undivided attention for the next 24 hours, and I would love for us to have the time and energy to read that passage once an hour, and spend the remaining 55 minutes thinking about what we just heard. If you could stop your betrayal, your slaughter and torture, would you? I would. I've told you I don't plan to die nobly. I'm going to go out swinging. God gave me a survival instinct and I feel it every day. I want to live. I want to enjoy. I want to prosper. Yet in this moment, Jesus looks at John and he says, I'm about to give him permission to end my life. And then to Judas, he says these words What you're going to do, go ahead. That's one of the most beautiful moments that proves to me I'm not God that I ever read in Scripture. That he was so much greater, more wonderful, more majestic than I could ever imagine being. Now, I know none of you are worried if I think I'm God. I hope you're not. But in the moment to release Judas, instead of self-preservation, and notice that Jesus, or John said Jesus was troubled in heart. This wasn't easy. This wasn't just a no-brainer. This was a choice. While troubled, he still honored God. Verse 31, when Judas was gone, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him at once. Jesus, glory. He calls it glory. Judas goes out the door to begin the slaughter and brutality of Jesus' life. And Jesus looked at his disciples when Judas left and if I can use vernacular of today, he said, it's on. There's no turning back now. Judas is doing what the scriptures have promised all the way back to the days of Isaiah that would happen to the suffering servant. And God will bring glory out of this. What, is, what does glory mean? I'm going to show you three phases of glory the way Jesus introduces it. First of all, there's the glory of, of obedience. Glory of obedience. There is glory in obeying our king. It's not our glory, it's his glory. In fact, John does something that John's not normally apt to do in his writing. He uses the word glory five times in those two verses. Paul does that all the time. Paul weaves in and out of these thoughts and these phrases and these clauses that when you read it, you often have to back up and go, okay, I've got to slow down. This is dense. John doesn't normally write that way, but in this moment, five times he uses the word glory. So I I wonder what he means, and I look the word up. Glory in the Greek means exaltation. It means to be lifted up, to be honored, to be placed above all things. But I'm told that that Greek word, its corollary word in the Hebrew is splendor. So it's to exalt the splendor of God. If you understand that, you reread those verses, what do we hear Jesus telling us? That what I'm about to do will show the splendor of God, and God will show the splendor of me, and through all of it, he will show the splendor in you. Interesting. But what is it all about? Isaiah 49.3 says, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Same word. I will display my glory. The cross would be the thing that we despised that would turn out to be the one thing that would show God for who he is, Jesus for who he is, and reveal who we are. Shake your head if that makes sense. I want to say that again. The cross would show the splendor of God through the splendor of Jesus' obedience and then show us who we are in comparison, and we can bring God the same glory Jesus did by crucifying ourselves every day for his kingdom, the glory of obedience, How do I get the word obedience? In John 17, 4, Jesus will say these words to us. I have brought you glory on earth when in his prayer, he's talking to God. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So this is really simple. We could do this in a Sunday school class. We could do this over a cup of coffee. What was the first way that Jesus brought God glory? He obeyed him. He did what he asked him to do the way for all of us to glorify God is to be faithful in doing what he's asked. And we're gonna see that no one in this room is gonna disagree with this, I think. I, I don't imagine anybody saying, no, I can bring God glory by being disobedient. But what's important is in doing what he said, not what we think he said, not what we wish he'd said, doing what he said. Because God's will for the son was not to save the world through miracles, to heal all of the sick, And to stop death. God's will for his son was to die horrifically on the cross so that he could be raised by the power of God to display the glory of God and by doing so return to heaven as the Son of God and come back one day to reestablish the kingdom of God. And if Jesus isn't willing to release Judas to do what he's supposed to do, none of that can happen. So glorifying God is doing exactly what God says and doing it the way he says to. Verse 33, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. John likes this term, technia in the Greek, and it means my children or little ones. It's a term that he quotes regularly. In fact, in his epistle, 1 John, he uses this term seven times. And it's always an admonition. It's always an encouragement. It's always a moment of teaching. And he quotes Jesus. He stole it from Jesus. When Jesus said, my little children, I'm not going to be with you very much longer, and you can't come with me. There would be a time when the disciples would follow the path that Jesus is on this night. I don't believe Jesus is talking about heaven here. I'll try to make the case next week if you come back why I believe that. I believe what he's saying to him is, I'm about to go and drink the cup. Remember when they thought they were great? He would say, Can you drink the cup that I drink? And they went, Yeah. And he's like, Nah, not really, but good try. But he says to him in this moment, uh, You can't go where I'm going. You cannot come. You see, when I told you earlier that obeying is doing exactly what he says, one of the greatest lessons for each one of us to learn is when Jesus says go, we ought to what? And when Jesus says stay, we ought to stay. And when he says wait, we ought to what? And when he says begin, we ought to? And isn't that the toughest test of obedience? It's like little kids, have you ever seen them when their parents are like, honey, you stay right here. Mommy's gonna come over here to the sink and then she'll come back and get you. And the minute mom walks away, moms, what do your ch- children do? And it's sweet, isn't it? Because what, they wanna be with mommy. But what did you ask them to do? Because it's better for them to stay safely than it is to be where they want to be unsafely. Shake your head if that makes sense. This is exactly what Jesus was telling the disciples that night. Hey, guys, I got tonight. You guys will have your own day. Trust me. Keep that thought in your mind. Because Jesus knew that the brutality of the cross was not for the 12 disciples. It was for the Savior of the world. Then Jesus introduces the next concept of glory. It's not only in obedience, but it's the glory of love. Found in verses thirty-four and thirty-five. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus was asked one day, what is the most important thing we can spend our lives on? And he did not say, earn a six-figure salary, start your own company, win a state title, live a healthy life, be an amazing mother or father. What did he tell us to do? Love God by loving your neighbor. It's a new commandment. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, so I want to be clear about it. The word new does not mean never before. The word new that Jesus uses means fresh, a new experience. It doesn't mean that, this, that Jesus is changing the rules and saying, I'll forget the Old Testament, just love. No, love is experienced in the Old Testament more so than even in the New Testament. By the way, God provided, cared for, and protected And do you know that in John chapters 1 through 12, the word love is used 12 times? In John chapter 13 through 21, in the Great Farewell, it's used 44 times? If you can count, you understand the enormity of that, don't you? In the last night, week of his human life, what did Jesus tell us to do? Obey me by loving. The new command is simple enough for a toddler to understand, and it's deep enough for theologians to still be writing about 2,000 years later. In the upper room, Jesus not only asked for love, he demonstrated it. If you still have your Bibles open, and I hope you do, look at John 13, verse 1. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. How did he do that, church? He sent Judas out, and he said, I'm going to let this happen to me for you, the full extent of his love. The disciples' responsibility was to love one another. And they needed to learn to love one another. They, they don't always love one another. But it would be the love that they had for each other that would hold the church together in its early years. It would be the message that would go out. It, when they didn't agree on everything doctrinally, when they didn't agree on everything politically, when they didn't agree on everything socially, the one thing that bound them together, the book of Acts records it, that the, the people of the world knew that they were followers of Jesus because they what? They loved. It was a new experience for everybody. Not new in, like never before, but new in experience, freshness, See, love would take on a power that would change the world. And it began that night when Jesus gave a piece of bread dipped in bitter herbs, handed it to Judas, and he said, if you're gonna do this, do it. And he released his life into the hands of the betrayer. John would be forever impressed by Jesus that night because in 1 John 3.16, and I just think it's really eerie that it's 3.16 from John. Now, you know, right, that that the chapters and verses are not inspired. Maybe they held this one out. I liked it. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. John didn't miss it that night. He understood that Jesus would bring God glory through obedience, and John would bring God glory through love. The attitude of love would be the demonstration that proved to the world Jesus Christ was who he said he was. So they found glory. Jesus says, you, you find glory in obedience and you find glory in love. You also find glory in grace. It's the glory of grace. And this is the weirdest ending to a chapter probably in all of the New Testament. Well, at least in the Gospels. Verse 36. Let's stop and review. Jesus says, Judas, go do this. He says to my little children, notice kids, Here's here's what I need you to do. I need you to trust me as being wiser, and you need to trust me as your father. You stay right here. I'm gonna go do something, and I'm gonna come back and get you, and then you can follow me. And in all of that context, with all of the beauty of that moment, when they realized that Judas had just left the room, and Jesus had just announced one of them was going to betray him. And within hours, it would come crashing down on him, the weight of the world, the weight of all sin, all the despicable anger and inhumanity that anyone would ever experience, Jesus would experience within hours. What does Peter decide to do? Verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Honey, stay right here. I'll be right back. Where are you going, dad? Where are you going, dad? Can I go? Can I go? Please let me go. I want to go. I want to go. You don't even know where I'm going. He says, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now. But you will follow later. Now. Uh Uh-uh. Later, yes. Remember, obedience is not doing what we want to do. It's doing what we're asked to do. Peter answered, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Before morning comes, before the sun rises and breaks, you will three times tonight, Peter, you will follow me and then choose not to follow me. Now, is Jesus angry? Is Jesus ridiculing Peter? Peter? Jesus knew that if Peter followed him that night, and I think it's funny that John mentions this, the elders, a couple of the elders and I who pray before the service were laughing about this this morning, whenever Peter has a bad moment, who's the one person to make sure it gets in his story? John. Now, there's a reason for that, you need to understand. John wrote maybe as many as 25 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote. Was Peter a pretty prominent figure in the kingdom at that time? I don't think John's ridiculing Peter. I think he's showing to the early Christians that this is awkward. It's like before you grow into your body. I was telling my third grade boys were getting their football pictures yesterday and I told one of the little boys, he was kind of being shy about it. I said, oh, go take a good picture. And he goes, oh, and I said, seriously, your kids are gonna use this against you for the rest of your life. They're gonna look at your third grade picture and go, dad, what were you thinking? So make it good. I think what he's showing is snapshots of Peter that we can all learn from, that God is a God of grace, is he not? That God doesn't hold us to what our greatest mistakes were, he holds us to what our greatest potential is. And he wants to draw us into that. You see, John mentions this. It wasn't Peter's fault that he wasn't strong enough. Peter did surrender to fear that night. I believe what Jesus is saying to him is, Peter, you don't want to go where I'm going because your death this night will accomplish nothing. Jesus' death that night accomplished everything. Can I have an amen? Peter's death would have meant nothing. Peter's death 30 years later, after he had preached and been martyred and proclaimed the kingdom and preached on the day of Pentecost, that was a good death. His death that night would have been a bad death. You can't come with me now, but Peter, you will come with me later. Ah, Jesus, why can't I come with you now? Because I'm God and you're not, trust me. It's the story of grace, isn't it? And I know you folks don't like to do this very much, but raise your hand if you've ever had a moment that you've done the exact opposite of what God told you to do. Leave it up if you wish you hadn't. Are you grateful for grace? That you're alive here today because Jesus Christ simply said, Hey, that night, don't worry about it. I did the dying, you did the living. Now start dying for me. It's about the surrender. Glory is not found in doing what we think is best. Glory is found in doing what Jesus asks us to do. It's obeying, it's loving, and it's accepting grace to overcome our weakness. You see, the following is not just the heaven. I think Jesus said, you can't follow me now. But also remember, on the day that Jesus ascended back to the Father, do you remember they were all looking up in the clouds? If you came to our End Times Forum, Chad Ragsdale did a great job highlighting this. He said they were looking up into the heavens, and the angel said, what are you doing? You have work to do. Get to work. He'll come back, and when he comes back, there'll be no doubt he's here. So until he comes back, church, what are we to do? Obey, love, and live in grace. Sounds like a pretty good life. How about you? Sounds like the purpose for which we exist. You see, Peter would write something amazingly within 25, maybe 30 years later. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. <laughs> Can we have a giggle here at this moment? Of all the people in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who's the one guy who shouldn't tell us to do that? Prepare your minds. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Did Peter know who Jesus really was that night? No. Did he believe he was the son of God? Yes. What proved to Peter that Jesus was more than just a good teacher? His death on that Friday and his resurrection on that Sunday. And from that moment on, Peter said, I was given grace. Live your life in obedience, in love, and within the grace of Christ. It's the message of the text, As Jesus unveils his life that night in the upper room, he's unveiling it to us too. He said, I'm going to do things you can't do. Let me be God and you be my little children. For some of us, truthfully, we're more like Peter at the Passover than we are Peter the day after the resurrection. In the Passover, we're wondering, we're thinking, we're protecting, we're doing things that God, we think God wants us to do, and we're not doing the things that God's asked us to do. And the Bible says we need to repent. God has made it crystal clear how he wants us to live. And to say no to God in one area, and turn around and say yes to God in another area, you have to ask yourself the question, what has he called us to? To offer him gifts that he doesn't want? In fact, in the Old Testament, it says on many occasions, I don't want your burnt sacrifices, I want your heart. So the question for every one of us, whether you count yourself a believer or you're here trying to figure out if you want to be a believer, do you know Jesus of the resurrection? And he says, you bring glory to the Father by obeying the Father, and the Father will show that glory in you, and that glory will be your hope because when I make sure that everybody knows who my God is then I actually reveal who I am I'm a follower of Jesus Christ saved by grace so that I can love and obey as he deserves if you're not a follower of Christ this morning around this room are tables with lamps lit on them and if you've been coming here for any period of time you know what those tables represent represents an opportunity to be prayed with to have questions answered, to schedule an appointment with one of the pastors or one of our counselors, or to meet with our elders and, and come to them and seek their wisdom and counsel. This place isn't full of supernatural people. It is full of the supernatural spirit. And in this morning, if God is asking you to obey him by surrendering to Jesus Christ, I would say to you that when we begin to sing, you get up in obedience and go to one of these tables and say, I think God's calling me to something and we'd love to show you biblically how to respond. Or maybe your heart's hurting and you wanna be prayed with. Maybe you realize that you spend more time bringing glory to yourself than to the kingdom. And you want someone to, to walk with you this week in prayer. We would love to do that. There's no judgment in this room because if there was judgment, we would all be guilty. Now what's in this room is hope. Hope. That on that night he was betrayed, Jesus looked at Judas and he said, let's do this. And that night he was brutalized for us. And then three days later was raised to life. And then he walked into a room of those disciples who had all failed him that night. They all left him and abandoned him. And do you remember the first words out of his mouth when he walked in that room? Peace. In other words, guys, we're okay. I did that for you. Now let's get back to living. That's the Jesus we worship this morning, right? That's the glory we want to offer God. Love, obedience, and grace. Let's stand together and sing.